0: Well, good morning, Cornerstone. Thank you, Michael, uh, for filling in this morning. If you're new, my name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, as we continue in this series that we're calling The Matchless Christ, Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under the chair in front of you, And you will find Colossians chapter 3, our reading today, on page 984 of that Bible. We're going to be reading from verse 1 down to 4, so just four verses this morning, and then I'll uh, pray and uh, we'll get to work in this passage. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing I desire on earth but you. You are the strength of my heart. You are my portion forever. Lord, when when we work through this passage, if there's something that I say that is not helpful, I pray your people would forget it. But I ask that you would enable me, your servant, to serve your people. Enable them to see the glories and riches of Jesus here in this passage. In order that they may deepen their joy in him, they may make their walk with him more fruitful, and that the glory of Jesus may shine brightly through your people to a world that's so desperately sick and needs him. Do this, we pray, for Jesus' sake, amen. Everyone knew that Chris was a hothead. He was one of those guys who could go from zero to sixty in two seconds. Something would set him off, and Chris would be would, would erupt without warning, like Mount Vesuvius, in his anger, lashing out with angry and harsh, derogatory verbal assaults. And so everyone walked on eggshells around Chris. His own kids kept a safe distance from him. His own wife coddled his temper and made excuses. Behind his back his coworkers called him Banner for his likeness to Bruce Banner the Hulk. Chris knows that he has anger issues. He knows that his outbursts are sinful. Chris prays for his temper. He's he's talked to his pastor about his temper. Chris knows Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. He knows it. Chris has even memorized James 1.19 and 20. Be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Chris is acquainted with the proverb that says, he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. He knows the truth. He knows what God expects of him. And Chris has tried everything to overcome his anger. And nothing works. And this frustrates him and makes him even more angry. It's a vicious cycle and Chris feels hopeless. Everyone loves Molly. That's how she likes it. She works very hard to keep it that way. She couldn't bear the thought that someone didn't like her. She gets to work early. She's always put together. She does great at her job. Molly is super organized. Her home is always clean. She has loyal friends. In school, Molly was always at the top of her class. Well, you would never know it, but Molly is a worrier. Ever since she was a little girl, Molly worried about everything. I mean, everyone worries, but Molly's anxiety, it's sometimes crippling. She overthinks everything. She's always stressed. She's constantly dealing with this undertow that at some point, everything will fall apart. There's a nagging agitation just under the surface at all times. Molly is never at rest. Well, Molly knows that her anxiety is sin. She knows that Jesus said, do not be anxious she knows that Paul said, Do not be anxious about anything. And Molly is anxious about everything. She's even memorized first Peter 5 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Well, she's tried that. She's tried casting it away, but she can't shake worry, no matter what she does. And Molly is worried that she'll never stop worrying. It's a vicious cycle. Molly Feels hopeless. What would you say to Chris and Molly? How would you counsel them? How might you help them? The Bible, which is God's Word, has the solution to every sin and every problem of every human being. So, how does God's Word help Molly? In her anxiety, and Chris in his anger. How will, scripture, how will Scripture bring someone like Molly to stop worrying and someone like Chris to stop being angry? The Apostle Paul has written this letter to Little Church in the town of Colossae in the first century. From his friend Epaphras, Paul had learned that there's some issues going on there. They're having to deal with some false teaching. And he writes this letter to show this little church the excellencies of Christ. You see, because Paul knows that whatever the particulars of the problems of the church in Colossae, there's only one solution, the revelation of Jesus Christ in his word. Paul knows that the Colossians need to see Jesus. And so that's exactly what he does in the book of Colossians. He wants them to see God's son and savor him. The Colossians' solution is is our solution. How would the Colossian church avoid false teaching? By seeing and savoring the preciousness of Christ. How will Chris... And Molly find help to overcome their temptations to sin? By seeing and savoring the preciousness of Christ. And how will we find help in the battle against our flesh, against the world, against the devil? By seeing and savoring the preciousness of Christ. Big idea this morning is really very simple. It's this. You can see this on the backside of your worship guide. Since Jesus is your life, set your heart and mind on him. Since Jesus is your life, set your heart and mind on him. Two parts to this passage. First, in verses 1 and 2, Paul instructs the Colossians to set their heart and their mind on things above. And second, Paul gives the reasons to do that in verse 3 and 4. I think this is one of those passages that you will find Imminently helpful in every area of your life. And I don't think I'm overstating it when I say that. Since Jesus is your life, set your heart and mind on him. So let's get started. Verse 1 and 2 again. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things. That are on earth. Now, before we get into the imperative, the the part that Paul says, here's what you should do. Set your mind on things above. Before we get there, I want to take take a minute or two and look at this the first the prepositional phrase at the beginning. If then you have been raised with Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ. If you have been raised with Christ. So this statement, what he's about to give, this imperative that you're supposed to do, this applies only to you if you are in Christ. This is only for Christians. So, there is only one kind of person who can, who can look at God's word and say, I know what God is requiring of me, and I can't do that. Only one kind of person can say, this is what God is requiring of me, and I can't. And that's a non-Christian. Only an unbeliever can say, I know God wants me to change, but I can't change. Because a non-Christian can't change. A non Christian cannot do what God is requiring of them to do because they're not doing it by faith. Of course, they can make adjustments to their life. Of course, they can make tweaks to their life. But they can't change. And this is because something we talked about last week. You remember last week we talked about how real change, actual life change, comes from one place a heart change. If you want your life to change, your heart must change. And the only person who can change your heart is God. Listen to the promise that God made to his people through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36. Tremendous promise. is God speaking. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Did you catch that? God says, I'm going to take out the heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, give you my spirit and cause you to walk in my statutes. This is exactly what the psalmist David prayed for. You remember the situation where David sinned against the Lord. Psalm 51, he prays, Father, create in me a new heart. Notice, David did not pray, clean my heart. He said, create in me a new heart. You don't need Jesus to come into your life and clean it up. You need Jesus to give you an entirely new life. And that's the beauty of it all, that this is exactly what God does for his people. That's why we've been praying Psalm 119 this year. We're asking the Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. Give me a heart that loves your word. Last week we prayed, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Do you pray like that? Do you feel the seriousness of a heart that is unmoved by the beauty of God? Well, know this. Your God creates your desires. God creates desires. I'm not sure why, but we have this, we seem to have this feeling that like desires and feelings and emotions, they sort of just float their way into our life. Emotions are not fairies. They don't just float into your life. Cupid isn't shooting people with arrows and making them fall in love. Even the phrase fall in love is stupid. You don't fall into love, you walk willingly into love. In the same way, you don't fall out of love, you walk willingly out of love. We need a heart that is changed if we are ever to see a life that is changed, a change of scenery will not change your heart. It's not an external thing. So you could take angry Chris who gets mad at work and you could give him a new job and he would carry his hair trigger temper into that new job and he would just find new reasons to be angry. Because he's bringing his bad heart with him. Now I'm speaking to Ohioans. Ohioans in February. We do this to ourselves every year. We look outside at the cloud cover, at the dreariness, at the cold, and we long for warmer, sunnier days where we can be happy again. Well... I'm not sure that's wrong to long for happy and sunny days, but I remember when it was warm and sunny, you were just as grumpy then as you are now. And if I can be a little bit more direct, is your joy in the Lord so fragile that it's ruined by cloud cover? By the axis of the earth during certain times of the year? Discontentment is sin. And you carry it with you wherever you go. Move to paradise. You'll carry your discontentment there. You don't need a change of location. Dear one, you need a change of what you love. And here's the good news. If then you have been raised with Christ, here's the good news. If you are in Christ, you have that change. You have that heart change. Here is an ironclad promise from God. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. So, All of that to say, we're about to get into two imperatives on everyone in this room, if you are a Christian, two imperatives. We're about to get there. And I just want to say, because of all that I've said up to this point, if you have been raised with Christ, do this. You can. You can do what God is asking of you to do in this passage and in every passage. You can. Not because you're strong. Because he is. You can obey scripture. You can resist temptation. You can be joyful in suffering. You can desire the scripture more than riches. You can put down your phone and play with your kids. You can keep your eyes from worthless things. You can be content with what you have and don't have. That's the real meaning of Philippians 4.13, isn't it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The New International Version of the Bible gets the meaning of verse 1 right when it translates this passage. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, set your heart on things above. The word seek there in the ESV, it means to devote serious effort to realize one's desires and objectives. This is what Jesus meant when he told his followers to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Cornerstone, seek the things that are above, where your savior is, seated at the right hand of God. Make the preoccupation of your heart the finished work of Jesus. If you are to have any success in your battle against sin, you must set your heart on things above. If Chris is to have any success in his sin of anger, if Malias have any success against her sin and temptation toward anxiety, she and he must set their heart on things above, the finished work of Christ. Notice that Paul is instructing the Colossians to set their heart on things above, where Christ is seated. Jesus, at this moment, is seated, right hand, to the right hand of the Father. He's sitting the, the work is done. It's, it's finished. I counted in Scripture 15 times that it mentions Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father. 15 times! Why is it so important to know? The Scripture repeated 15 times. How might Jesus, His present posture, change the way you live Why would Paul want the Colossians to set their heart on this? And how might this help Chris and Molly? How might it help you to know Jesus is sitting down? Might it help Molly to know the work is done? What is needed for her life to go on as it should? It's done. Might you be able to tell Molly, Jesus is sitting down. Maybe you should too. Molly needs to see that her anxiety is actually a functional denial that Jesus finished his work. And she can repent of this. And she can receive God's forgiveness. And she can fasten her heart's desires on the preciousness of Christ and his finished work. Her And then she can walk in freedom. And then she can walk in the rest that is reserved for her in God. She can be freed from constantly trying to keep her head above the surface. She can be freed from overthinking everything. She can rest in her father's arms. And she can hear the beauty of her Savior say to her, Molly, look at the lilies of the field. That's why we named our little girl Lily. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil. And God makes them beautiful. You don't have to toil to make your life beautiful. I made it beautiful. Cornerstone, whatever concerns you have about danger, devils, Whether you'll have food on the table, enough money to retire, the coronavirus, turn it all over to the Lord. Turn your heart away from these things and set your heart on things above. Jesus won. I don't know if that's news to anyone else, but we just sang about it. Jesus won. I don't know why we have to walk around all the time acting like it's the bottom of the ninth and there's two outs and we're up to bat. Jesus won the game. It's over. It's not up to you. Jesus won. Martin Luther wrote in my favorite hymn of all time, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And you and I can breathe the fresh, clean air of Jesus' victory. And then we can just chill. Set your heart on things above. Second imperative. Set your mind, verse 2, on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. Set your mind Did you know meditation is biblical? Not the like emptying forms of meditation that comes from Hinduism. It's demonic. I'm talking about the biblical forms of meditation where you're filling your mind. Biblical meditation isn't about being emptied. It's about being filled. Don't empty your mind. Fill your mind with God's truth. Set your mind on things above. Much of the struggle and difficulties of your life will be solved if and when you engage in mindful meditation on God's word. Instead of, instead of thinking about things that here on the earth, but setting your mind on things above. Consider the apostle who wrote this in Romans 8, 5-7. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their mind on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You want peace? There you have it. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You see, you see what Paul is saying in Romans 8, this is about the battleground of your mind and your heart. This is life and death here. As Christians, we live by faith, not by sight. So we need to train ourselves to stop trusting in what we see, but trusting in what we hear Faith is simply acting as if everything God has said is true and that he will do what he has promised to do. That's what faith is. Fill your mind with the truth of God. Believe his word. There are plenty of lies floating around that flirting with you. But God's word is truth. Set your mind on things above. Philippians 4.8 is instructive. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Set your mind on things above. So what is the basis for this? Set your heart and your mind on things above. Well, as, as Paul always does in his letters, he grounds the imperative in the indicative. So the thing that we're supposed to do is been grounded in what God has already done. And that's what we find in verse three and four. This, these two verses, these are, this is gold here. Let's take a look again. Verse three. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. All over his letters, the Apostle Paul defines the Christian life as one which has been united to Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian, to be united to Christ. Christ to be in Christ. Union with Christ is central to Paul's understanding of the Christian experience. You can see that here in these two verses. You died with Christ, you were raised with Christ, your life is hidden with Christ, and you will appear with Christ. To be a Christian means to be united to Christ. It's as simple and profound as that. Jesus famously said in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, it's a it's a wonderfully helpful verse. Because Jesus is saying, if you want to go to heaven, it's really that simple. You just need to be perfect. Heaven's a perfect place, is the home of perfect people. So go be perfect. Best of luck to you. But that's the beauty of being united with Christ, is that no one in this room is perfect but Jesus is. And so when you become a Christian and God transforms you into a Christian, this happens because he unites you to Christ and Jesus' own perfection is treated as if it were your perfection. So the way to get to heaven is to get into Jesus. Jesus is the only safe place for sinners like us. So friend, if you've never turned to Jesus. If you've never confessed your sins. You're not in Christ. You're in yourself. You're in your own sin. And you are under the wrath of God for your sin. And you are on a trajectory which will lead you to eternally separated from God in a place called hell. And don't think that it is accidental that you came to church today. Because you need to hear the good news. Which is that when you turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ, professing that He is Lord, You'll be saved from your sin. You'll be united to Christ. And the the perfection that you need to get into heaven, it's gifted to you. Do that today. Turn to Jesus Christ and be saved today. And then tell someone about it. If you don't know anyone here, tell me about it. The Bible says that the entirety of heaven rejoices when a sinner repents. Let us rejoice with you. Make that profession of faith today. Cornerstone, if you look closely at these verses, you'll see past, present, and future effects of the gospel. Look at it again. You died. It's past tense. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Present tense. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with Him in glory. Future tense. The effects of the gospel are past, present, and future in your life. And we need all three, we need to be grounded in all three in order to progress in holiness. We need to be walking in all three in order to produce the fruits of the kingdom and bring glory to Christ. You have been united to Christ in his death. You died. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, his death was your death. The old you, the body of flesh, the body of sin, the body of decay, was crucified with Jesus on the cross. And the sinful desire of your old flesh is gone. This is Romans 6, 6 through 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. The old you is dead. He is no more. She is no more. And no longer does that person lay claim on your heart. So you can tell Chris, you're not a hothead. That's not who you are. You're not an angry man. That you, the old you, the the old Chris, he's dead. He died with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's who you are. You can tell Molly, you're not a worrier. That's not who you are. That Molly died, anxious Molly, she's dead. Your identity is not in your sin. It's in your Savior. So as a Christian, you have been united to Christ in his death. and You've also been united to him in his life. One of my favorite phrases in Scripture. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Right now, this is very moment you are hidden with Christ in God. That's who you are. That is your actual location. Spiritually speaking, that's where you live. Safely hidden with Christ in God. Is there any safer place to be? Is there any happier place to be than with Christ in God? Do you see why fear is nonsense to a Christian? Do you see why worry is an affront to God? Do you see why discontentment is ugly? Because you have been hidden with Christ in God. That's who you are. The riches, unimaginable, are yours right now, this moment. You are his. He is yours. No one can take you from him. You're safe forever. And Ephesians chapter 2 says... You're even seated with Him. Listen listen to this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Union with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. This is what God did for hell-deserving sinners like us. If you read a passage like that and it doesn't move you, you're either not a Christian or you're, you are dead. You are dead. So the frustrations in Chris's life, when he starts feeling them kind of bubbling up, when he feels the engine start to rev up, and he's tempted to burst forth, spewing that poison from his mouth, those, that bubbling, it begins to fade away as he sets his heart and mind on things above. As he remembers his life is hidden with Christ in God. So that when someone does something and he feels that tenseness building, he remembers who God is. He remembers what God has done and his, his shoulders drop. And he breathes deeply in the glorious goodness of God. God. And rather than rage, love spills out of his heart. See, he knows that there's no danger of being overlooked. There's no danger in being unheard. There's no danger in losing control of his life. He's his life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where his life really is. And so rather than anger, he feels peace and love. Well, it's the same with Molly. She can set her heart and mind on things above. Because that's who she is. Hidden. And in that place, hidden with Christ and God, anxiety, it makes zero sense. What is there to be anxious about when you, your life has been united to the source of life? Molly has no time to overthink her life because her mind is preoccupied with the preciousness of Christ. She's not worried about whether or not she'll be enough or have enough. She's too busy thinking about the abundant riches of Christ. So she's not tense anymore. How can you be tense when you're resting in the Father's arms? So in your past you were united with Christ in His death. In your present, you are united with Christ, hidden in God. And in your future life, you are united to Christ for future glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. This is the rock-solid guarantee of everyone who has been united to Christ. This is your future glory. Set your mind on this, on the assurance of this glorious future to come. Scripture is replete with promises of future glory. And the Bible uses our future glory as a way of sort of steadying our life, giving us steadfastness, giving us hope to drive us. There's tons of them all over here, are just three. Philippians 3.20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to even subject all things to Himself. First John 3.2, Behold, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And my personal favorite, Romans 8.30. And those whom He predestined, He also also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. I love that when Scripture speaks of something future, it has no problems speaking of it in past tense. You were justified and you were glorified. But my glorification hasn't happened yet. Yeah, but the person who's doing your glorification, he's outside of time and when he says something, he does it. So you have been justified and you have been glorified. Because your life is hidden with Christ in God. When God makes promises, it will be done. You know, know, this is why I think when Jesus returns, Revelation chapter 19, Jesus comes back, and people look at him, and they call him a name. His name is Faithful and True. He said he would come back, and there he is, Faithful. Here's what this means. It means on your worst day, set your mind and heart on things above. Know that this world is not your home. And of course, it's not going to work as you want it to work. But know that future glory is awaiting you when Jesus returns. Because you are a citizen of another country. You are awaiting the new Jerusalem. Also, on your best day, know that this world will never satisfy you. You were made for another time. True happiness is with Christ laid up for you in future glory. So our friends Chris and Molly, they can rest assured in this future glory. Of course, they're not who they want to be today. But thank God that they're not who they once were. And praise be to God they will be one day. By God's glorious decree, they are safely hidden with Christ in God on their way to future eternal glory in paradise. And there they will live forever, anger free, worry free. And there we will live without fear without selfishness, without lust, without manipulation, without anger, without pride, without death, in a perfect place of unimaginable wonders, with a mind renewed and an affection undivided. How many of you can't wait for affections undivided? Where you have unrestricted access to unimaginable glories as you gaze full face on the glories of Christ. This is the place of rest. This is the place that once you go there, every molecule in your body will scream, This is home. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 will guide you every day of your life. Turn here often. Memorize this passage. Whatever ails you, whatever sin is embattling you, whatever weariness you have or fatigue you have, bring your soul to Colossians 3, 1 to 4 and warm the coldness of your heart by the glory of God. That you see here. Set your heart and mind on things above. See and savor the precious beauty of God in Christ. There's nothing that ails you that you won't find solved in Christ through his word. See and savor the preciousness of Christ and sing with Christians across the decades. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wondrous face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Amen. Please stand your feet for the prayer of confession. At the end of our services, we take a moment to go to the Lord, Him having exposed our sin to us. The women's ministry of this church has been going through the book of James, something that delights me to no end. And they were recently reading, James said, you know, the Bible is like a a mirror. You you look at it, you see yourself. Let's, Let's look at the mirror of God's Word and let's not forget what we see there. The mirror is meant to show us our sin and our need for Jesus so that we take that ugliness, and we turn to Him. So let's do that now. That's, that's what we do when we repent and confess. Father of all glory, God of all grace, you are the creator and sustainer and the author and the finisher. You've been so kind to us again today to reveal your word to us. The truths that we've encountered this morning are life-changing. They are truth. We confess, Lord, that we have failed to walk these out in any way that is right We've not sought the things above. Lord, how often have we set our heart and mind on things below? We set our affections on worthless things. Things that can't save, things that can't satisfy. Lord, forgive us. We've committed idolatry and spiritual adultery. Expecting these created things to do with the uncreated God, only, only he can. Will you forgive us? In our arrogance, in the sin of our pride, we have sought to live our lives our way. We sought safety in ourselves, in whatever way, hard work or good deeds, honesty, fairness. Those, these, these are good things, Lord, but they are, they're not been done for you. They're not done in faith. And therefore, your word says they're sin. Forgive us. Will you lift our eyes to Jesus and give us new hearts, renew our minds, And may we see and savor Jesus this week. May we set our hearts and our minds on him, on things above where he is, where we are in him, where our future glory is guaranteed. Make us a people who live for the next age. And with eternity in our hearts and our minds, make us fruitful today. As we leave here, bring forth the fruit of faith in Jesus. Would you make us a patient people a gentle people, a joyful people. Make us selfless in sacrificing everything for Jesus because we know it belongs to him anyway. Make us bold in our witness this week. Make us joyful in our service. All for Jesus we pray.